0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Now, I am confident that the vast majority of you listening to this podcast are familiar with 1% for the planet but I'm also sure that many of us could stand to learn more about the history, the evolution, and the current mission of the organization. Furthermore, I know you're all aware of the fires in Hawaii, and many of you have been wondering about the best ways to contribute, and perhaps you've been solicited by certain entities to donate money to relief efforts. But that then always raises the question of which organizations to donate to and how you should go about determining that. So to help us get a better handle on all of these topics, we're talking today with Kate Williams, the CEO of 1% for the Planet, and my hope and belief is that this conversation will inspire both individuals and businesses to keep taking steps that ought to create a better future. And so now, here is my conversation with Kate Williams. Here we go. Well, Kate, how are you today and where are you today?
1: I am good. Thank you. I'm so psyched to be having this conversation with you. And I am in Waitsfield, Vermont, which is where I live. So I'm in my home office. Um, Just have come down the hill from Burlington, where I work today at our office office.
0: Excellent. I'm a very big fan of Vermont. I'd like to think I've sort of like, it's a a sort of adoptive state of mind. Absolutely no one in Vermont has uh, bestowed that honor on me. But I, I'm working toward that, I feel like.
1: We definitely, we definitely welcome people who like Vermont. So I, I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I feel like this conversation is a long time coming. I have a sense that most of our listeners are quite familiar with 1% for the Planet. And I mean this very much as a compliment. Probably are really familiar with the, the logo But this is a conversation that I've wanted to have to just dive deeper into sort of the origins and evolution and current mission uh, for 1% of the planet. So I want to ask you this first, because I'm particularly bad at this myself. When asked to give a sort of succinct definition of, you know, so what is 1% for the planet? What do you say?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question. Usually when people frame it like that, the ability to be succinct like completely leaves me, but I'll try and do it, <laughs> right. I can do it. Um, we are a global community of businesses and nonprofits who together are driving impact uh, through philanthropy um, and other partnership activities.
0: Well done, I- I'm taking notes. I'm gonna try to learn from this for my own you know, uses, but can you tell us a bit about the origins of 1% for the Planet?
1: Absolutely. So we have a great origin story. We were founded not too far from where you are in Crested Butte, but a little bit north up on the Madison River in Montana. Uh, Yvonne Chenard, uh, the founder of Patagonia, and his friend Craig Matthews, who founded and ran a company uh, still there called Blue Ribbon Flies up in West Yellowstone. And they basically were fishing, doing their favorite thing, and they decided that something that they were already doing, which was giving back from their business profits, sales, um, Giving back to nonprofits, they realized that needs to become a broader movement, that you really can't have a business, you can't have an economy if you don't have a healthy planet. And so it had to become a movement. And so they created 1% for the Planet as the movement builder to engage businesses all over the world in giving back 1% of sales to environmental nonprofits. And the cool thing is that's basically what we still do. You know, it was a very good, clear, simple idea that we've gotten a lot better at all the mechanics of doing it and we have grown it, but that was where we were founded and, and by whom we were founded and you know, has been a really powerful start for us.
0: And when was
1: that? Sorry, that was in 2002. So we just had our 20th anniversary last year.
0: And when did you get involved with 1%? I started in
1: 2014 as the director of partnerships and then in 2015, I became the CEO. So I'm coming up on 10 years at the organization um, and about nine years as CEO.
0: What was your background before all this? And feel free to take us way back so we kind of get a sense of your own personal trajectory.
1: Sure. So yeah, if I with the invitation to go way back, I will go back to a mountaintop in Wyoming, uh, in the Wind River Range, where I, when I was 18 years old, did a 30-day trip with the National Outdoor Leadership School. And it was right after my high school graduation, like a really kind of big moment for me. And Everything in the trip kind of went wrong. Like we had a ton of snow in June and we weren't really set up for that. We missed food ration because of that. And then one of our instructors, one of our leaders, broke his leg. And I'm sort of telling you this because all of these things went wrong and it created an opportunity for me to um, realize that that was exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I remember the moment when the instructor was being flown out in a helicopter after after we had finally coordinated this pretty Involved evacuation pre cell phone, pre satellite phone, all the things. And I remember it was standing up in this pass looking at this amazing sunset helicopter lifting off, and it was so gorgeous. And I 100% fell in love with the wild mountains, and I 100% fell in love with the work that we had done as a group of people together to accomplish something hard and unexpected. And so I had this idea of like, this is what I want to do. And I didn't really know exactly what this meant, but it was that combination of the wild and of the people component of that, of bringing a group of people together. So from there, I really have spent my career kind of figuring out what is this, you know, what is this? And initially I was an outdoor educator. So I really kind of stayed the course there and lived in New Mexico for about 10 years and ran an outdoor program at a school there. So I spent a lot of time, you know, basically my sort of, theory of change although I wasn't using that language at that point was if I connect people to outdoor places and they have that opportunity to fall in love with the experience or at least just experience it that becomes part of their you know repertoire and something they can advocate for something they can care about and so I did that and then I um transitioned I got kind of increasingly interested in the sort of leadership and people side of it and you know decided I maybe didn't want to be out in the field all the time and um Although now I miss it.
0: <laughs> Careful what you wish for.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, and transitioned into more um, nonprofit sort of advocacy and leadership work. And um, so immediately before 1% for the Planet, I was the executive director of a sort of recreation-focused nonprofit here in the Northeast. Um, that was a recipient of 1% for the Planet funding through our membership model.
0: And so that's where you gained maybe Quite a bit more familiarity with 1% as an organization, or perhaps you already were quite familiar prior to that?
1: Yeah, no, the the that ED experience when I was running, it was called the Northern Forest Canoe Trail. That was when I learned about 1% for the Planet. Also, I will say I learned about 1% for the Planet because at that time it was located in my very small town in Vermont, because it was, you know, an early organization that was able to kind of be based anywhere and manage a global network Um, so we were temporarily or for a few years based in the small town where my I was living and working at that time too so I learned about it really in that you know kind of neighborly way we've subsequently moved to Burlington the biggest city in Vermont Um, not a very big city to anyone who knows it but like it is our biggest and a great location for us but so it was really through the work and just through you know the serendipity of being in a place that I learned about it
0: How much can you tell us about the kind of growth trajectory of 1%? I'm curious to hear how much you know about those years prior to your arrival, so 2002 to 2014, and then I have a hunch you can speak pretty well uh, to the last uh, years since you've been at the helm.
1: Yeah, I would describe it as having kind of two distinct chapters and really almost two distinct like startup phases so during the first 10 12 years that 2002 to 2014 um you know there's a lot of that like initial kind of setting up some of the basic frameworks and um and there was some really great inflection points like when jack johnson the musician joined and kind of took one percent for the planet on tour with him that created some really great visibility and credibility and so we saw a nice uptick in members at that point and you know there's some good experimentation during that point there was you know with jack johnson there was some other sort of experimentation with the music industry and things like that and then you know as is often the case there was some leveling out and a leadership transition and you know we were a little bit um you know in a um sort of phase of kind of what's next and so then when i became ceo we had a you know a the challenge and opportunity of like, okay, sort of how do we, you know, have our next inflection point. And, you know, again, we did some of the basics. So, you know, a lot of focus on sort of staffing clarifying our messaging, just, you know, really getting our um, positioning clarified for the new world that we were in because it was different than 2002. Like it's important for us all to remember, like in 2002, there was not the iPhone. The internet was a, you know, pretty different, um, beast and so we also you know had to kind of position ourselves to operate in a new uh environment and then what was really interesting is that I would say in the last five years we've seen really rapid growth. So when I started in 2014 we had about a thousand members, business members globally. Not bad. Um, now we have about six thousand members um, globally. We were certifying you know in the 10 million dollars a year range. Not bad, but um, now this year we're certifying about a hundred million a year. And we just hit the five hundred million mark in terms of lifetime certification. That's half a billion U.S. dollars, so it's awesome. So you know we've seen a lot of growth, and I think it's been this really interesting convergence of factors. Um, I think during the last five years there's been a big uptick in consumer interest, and there's a ton of great data on you know consumers really want their dollars, if possible, to be able to deliver solutions or at the very least not be supporting things that are making the world worse um, but there is a very kind of clear interest in like if if the way I get to use dollars and most people are not wealthy philanthropists most people are not um, you know big investors most people are buying groceries and paying for the various services that we all need to kind of set up and live our lives and so there's a lot of power in those purchasing dollars and if people can allocate those towards companies that they feel good about that they can see how they're making change in the world like that's awesome and consumers started saying we want that and we, we would actually pay for that and please tell us like how we can know that that's that's happening so that was that was a trend that we were seeing and starting to be able to pick up on and then you know interestingly the covid years when you know at first we thought like oh <laughs> this is not going to be pretty you know who's going to want to give to the environment when there's these human health issues but what we actually saw was you know that there was all sorts of different things going on and i think we'll take a while to figure it all out but a couple of things that we believe were operating as one it was a huge global change that happened really fast the the pandemic was and i think that created a like connection of like oh Big global changes can happen fast and affect all of us. And that made climate change, which had been this future existential threat that we were kind of dancing around the edges of, it really brought it in closer. It's like, oh, that can really happen fast. So we did see and hear from people around that. You know, I think there's also just a much greater sense of like businesses have to lean in and drive change because there's so much, you know, it. It sort of there during that period that highlighted that government policies are going to change, they're going to ebb, they're going to flow. And the role of business is just so important. And I think a lot of businesses really saw that and had that, you know, very strong human impulse of let's take action. So consumer interest growing, you know, kind of funky conditions of the pandemic. You know, we were able to like meet that. So our team, you know, did some really good work to sort of understand that environment and be there for it. And we just saw a lot of significant growth, you know. So a lot of our, you know, we we doubled and then doubled again over the last like four to five years, which we're psyched about.
0: Wow. Yeah. Where do the funds go? What are they used for that are collected by One Percent?
1: Yeah, our model, couple things. So. The, another sort of feature of how our model works is that we don't operate as a foundation. So we don't take all the funds in and then distribute them. We serve a more kind of connective tissue role in that we engage the members. We also have a team that's uh, vetting the nonprofits. And then we're able to um, advise our members on the giving strategies and the giving recipients that are the best fit for them. And so on the nonprofit side, on that where we work to, you know, create that stakeholder group that's really high value, high quality, you know, that matters a lot. That's kind of what makes it all work. And that's where the impact um, lands and is driven. Um, We've done a lot of work there in the last few years. And I do think that also contributes to some, has contributed to some of our growth. We really realized in the kind of 2019 to 2021 period that we had an opportunity to kind of expand the definition of environmental. So we had traditionally, like many, you know, uh, organizations in the environmental space really thought of it from a resource standpoint. So, you know, there's land, there's food issues, agriculture, there's water, there's wildlife. And that's awesome. Like we do need to think about all of those things. And we also realized that there was a really important opportunity to connect some more dots. So to You know, connect planet and people, and to think about the community lens on environmental giving and on environmental impact. And so, we kind of did a big rethink and restructure of our environmental vetting, eligibility guidelines, our structure, and the way we categorize nonprofits to really signal and create opportunities for giving that are in a much expand, more expanded definition. So, we now um, categorize nonprofits into four impact areas. Just economies, resilient communities, um, conservation and restoration, and rights to nature. And within those, you know, there's we have about six thousand, uh, similar to the number of members, no, uh, nonprofits all over the world. And some of them are very, very local and working on very specific topics. Some of them are very, sort of global, looking at all of those sort of transboundary issues that we know are part of the environment. And What we do is with that sort of broad philosophy of environmental giving and then a process where we're able to help companies figure out their strategies and really move giving into a strategic place in the company, we're able to help them allocate their giving directly to those nonprofit partners in our network that are the best fit for them.
0: Okay, let me try this. One more brevity exam for you. So we've talked about individuals and those of us who you know are customers or potential customers of companies. So spell this out for us, how the kind of circle works. We've got individuals on the one hand, businesses on the other, nonprofits as a third entity, and then we've got 1% for the planet sort of connecting all these folks. Can you walk us through sort of how 1% sort of, you know, like complete the circle on this or whatever the right square or circle or whatever the right shape metaphor would be?
1: I love that. Such a great question. So where we sit and what we do is we take the business sector, which create generates revenue, and it generates revenues because individuals purchase products and services from those individuals. And we create a way for... Uh, those members to allocate revenues to the nonprofit sector. And what's so awesome about that is that the business sector, you know, it generates revenues through this market relationship. So there's a market relationship between the individuals and the businesses. What nonprofits do is that they're able to drive impact there and they exist where there usually isn't a market or there isn't a market yet. They're sometimes maybe building a market, but you know, protecting an endangered frog. Usually there's not immediately a market for that, but there's a real ecosystem value for that um, and just a, it's a good thing to do. Um, And so when we are able to sort of connect the market to where there is no market, that's a really powerful way to drive impact. And and 1% for the planet kind of helps connect all those dots.
0: So then can you say just a bit more about, I guess we'd call it the vetting process of some of the nonprofits that work with 1% for the planet what what does that look like
1: sure we have a set of eligibility guidelines and sort of those four impact areas that I mentioned um, the eligibility guidelines tie to those so we're looking for nonprofits that sort of fit within that broad definition of environmental that we have laid out and we use this UN sustainable development goals and you know we try to really be not reinventing the wheel but positioning it differently, because really we do feel like we have a unique opportunity to expand that definition and to really combine that resource-based with a more community-based kind of social environmental um, definition. So we make that clear in our eligibility guidelines, and then the it's not an open application. Either a staff member or a business member can recommend nonprofits to, to check and see if they're eligible and then once they're eligible there's different sort of stages and it's a it's a i would say it's a knowledge-based program and that what we're really looking to do is develop a strong detailed understanding of how that nonprofit works in the world we also you know we get information about their their basic setup their financials their operations and importantly like how they're driving impact how they're able to communicate that all of all of the information that we know is going to be relevant for uh business donor to figure out is this the right match for me um and can we develop a meaningful partnership because that's what we're really looking for is to develop those partnerships where it's you know there is an exchange of funds that's part of what is happening but then there can also be an exchange of so much more too in terms of that and that that's what we're trying to gather information about through our vetting process
0: Have there been other elements of this? I know you've said that the mission of 1% has stayed kind of remarkably consistent from those early days in in, uh, 2002, but where has there been evolution in the organization?
1: Yeah, there have been two, I'd say two main categories of evolution. So one is evolution within how we run the model, the membership model, and then one is creating a new product essentially to sit beside um, membership. So in terms of the evolutions within the model, we've created some flexibility for how giving can be implemented. So of the total 1%, every single solitary 1% for the planet member is on an annual basis being certified for giving 1% of sales. So that's happening. What Where there's some variation, and we encourage this, it's built into our model is that the, the composition of that 1% there's some flexibility in that so 50% of the 1% always has to be financial like full stop no negotiation. Um, 100% can absolutely be financial like that's good, um, but 50% the other 50% can be allocated across some different categories of giving volunteer hours. Um, to a nonprofit in our network that wants to receive those volunteer hours. So it's all, you know, definitely always has to be like in the context of that um, choice and uh, within the model Uh, in kind donations. So for companies that have products, they can donate products again to sort of willing recipients within our model. Um, And then we also have what's called approved advertising. And one of the things that's a, that's a newer addition in the last, I would say four years. And that was when we realized that the, the importance back to your good question around sort of how do you connect all the dots between the individual consumer, the business and the nonprofit, the communication and the storytelling is not, it's not unrelated to the impact. A lot of times we kind of think of that's fluff or that's extra, but what we've learned is like, it's absolutely critical to develop an understanding and share an understanding of what is it that these dollars associated with this purchase or sale are doing. Like if that's not known, um, consumers are not going to have that opportunity to allocate their dollars to drive change. Businesses are not going to be able to say, "Hey, this this differentiates us. This is part of how we are driving impact." And so, we do want to reinforce like it should be good for business to do this. And so we want to like incentivize that um, because that drives more dollars ultimately to nonprofits. So you know we do include that ad- approved advertising. So each company kind of figures out how they are going to allocate across that pie. So that's the the evolution within the model. And then we've also created a new product called the Planet Impact Fund. And that is also based on environmental philanthropy, which is our expertise. But it, it is quite a different opportunity. So basically what it is, is it's a fund that's set up to drive dual impact. So donors of all sizes, and they can be members or non-members, can make donations into this collaborative fund, meaning the dollars flow in together, um, and they all like live together in this fund. And the dual impact is that the funds are invested for positive impact. And then annually, we also grant 10% of the fund to a portfolio of nonprofits. Um, So we're able to kind of, you know, tap into the opportunity to drive long-term impact all with philanthropic dollars through these investments, Um, but then also the, you know, grow short-term impact through these, this 10% giving annually. So the Planet Impact Fund we launched in um, April of 2022, and we now have, it's grown to, um, it's about 800,000 US dollars in it. And we're really looking to, that's, we feel like that's just a drop in the bucket. We're really looking to see that scale up because we do want that to be a big exponential growth opportunity where membership has grown a lot, but it will always be incremental because it's 1% by 1%. And we love that. That's a beautiful thing. But if we can create this other model to scale up our impact, we're psyched about that.
0: So the planet impact fund, as you were Describing it, I thought, okay, this is cool. It, it sounds like a way that either an individual might be able to contribute or also a company that's like, hey, we're busy being a company and making stuff, doing stuff, but we'd like to make a contribution and maybe start down the path of something like this. Given what you just ended by saying, it's maybe not just a way to serve as a kind of on-ramp it certainly can serve as an on-ramp into the you know, 1% program, but it's it can be more than that too. Do I, do I have that right, or, or do you look at it primarily as an on-ramp?
1: Fabulous question. I love that you asked that because it, I think it, um, primarily we see it as an opportunity for us to reach an audience that isn't able to participate in our membership model. So to reach individuals, as you said, you know maybe some companies who aren't able to do membership for whatever reasons but really you know ultimately it's more of a um you know individuals who are looking to you be able to participate in driving big change as part of the 1% for the planet community but in a different way than membership if it can serve as that on ramp to membership or if it can serve it it can be a way that members give part of their 1% like so it can sort of flow in both ways um, but really that like we want to use it to reach a new audience that hasn't had an opportunity to participate thus far.
0: I want to ask you just about the current state of nonprofits. You know, I think that for many of us, you know, they're just our questions, right? I mean, we're, we're going to talk a bit in a minute about, you know, the, the situation in Maui right now with wildfires. And I'm sure, I'm actually sure that every single one of our listeners will have been seeing things about, you know, donate here or make a contribution. And there frequently becomes the question of like, who do I give money or my time to? And I'd love to just hear you speak about Your thoughts on that, things that individuals can do, you as an organization, how you're thinking about these things, you know, in the second half of 2023, what should we know? What are some best practices? What advice do you have?
1: I think it's really important when thinking about nonprofits to do two things. One is to... um, Be careful not to hold them to a higher standard than we hold um, other businesses that we interact with, which, and I say that because sometimes, um, you know, nonprofits who are seeking to drive change in an area where there is no market, operating with a very minimal budget, um, you know, but have the best on the ground knowledge of how to address that issue on the ground. When a donor comes in and says, I'm not going to give general funds because I don't want people to get high salaries. I'm only going to give to this. Sometimes that is like creates an impossible situation for those nonprofits. Cause it's like, well, just like any other small business, we actually need a laptop to be able to communicate with you. We need to keep the lights on. So I think, you know, in that sense, I, the the one, one thing that I think is really important to think about is uh, get into a mindset of, um allowing for trust of on the ground knowledge um, and on the ground expertise and on the ground decision making about where to allocate funds to the best end for to create that impact to to develop that trust you know you need to do the other thing which is like do your homework um and it can be hard to figure out how to do your homework and so i think that's where um You know, sometimes what we're able to do comes in a bit more like once once you kind of solve for that, like initial philosophy around nonprofits. You know, what we're able to do is we do have these eligibility guidelines. We do have a vetting process. So by the time a nonprofit is in our network, we've we've spent some time getting to know it. And, you know, when there are um, disasters, floods, fires and unfortunately, like we're getting more practice at this lately we are able to pull together a list of a targeted list of nonprofits that we've taken the time to vet. And so we can say, Hey, the the human urge to give, to respond, to be in relationship with others who are going through a hard thing. That's the time that like, unfortunately, we know people can take advantage of that. But what 1% for the planet does is like the purposes impact. This is what we do here. are Some nonprofits that, you know, you can put some dollars into that. That you can take a little time to look at them. They're gonna, they're gonna respond in different ways. They're gonna provide different, you know, ways of um, addressing the issue on the ground. But you can feel some confidence that you know they have been vetted by us by a third party, and you know, so you can feel that that trust that you're you're able to implement your giving in a way that's meaningful.
0: Mm-hmm. Which, to summarize, when there is kind of this immediacy in a situation, and someone would like to help that might be a good time to get some communications from 1%. We are going to talk about some specific organizations and nonprofits uh, for those who would like to contribute you know, and help the situation in Maui. Can you walk us through a little bit of what that would look like? Can people sign up for a newsletter? Should they visit a website like for these time-sensitive, really urgent uh, situations?
1: Yeah, I think one of the most important things I would say is like, take a beat, like in these time sensitive, urgent situations, it like, we do want to respond with, you know, urgency. And that doesn't mean just click, click, click immediately. So it's a great time to, we have a directory on our website. We also, you know, post um, listings of like Hawaii response, for example, and we can talk about that. Um, And that, you know, and then you can sort of click through and think, oh, this one resonates most for me, um, and then, you know, proceed from there. So I would say, you know, in in these, you know, time where immediacy is of the essence, that's often when we forget to make good choices. You know, our response to give, if it takes an hour as opposed to a minute, that's probably not going to make a difference. It's definitely not going to make a difference in terms of the response. So I do think um, taking a deep breath um and then you know sort of figuring out what's the what matters to me you know what do what do i have to give how much can i give cuz sometimes the amount that you give that helps you to figure out where you want to give it 25 dollars here may make a difference whereas 25 dollars there may be just like a a drop in the ocean and and you wouldn't really be able to understand what happened with your money so like you know figuring that out so take a deep breath go to our website and then you know really pay attention to sort of your values as they relate to credible nonprofits who can drive change
0: and is your primary reason for saying take a beat don't click right now give it an hour do a bit of research is your primary reason for saying that to avoid some of the scam stuff that comes up or not necessarily just you're saying look Think about how much you can give and where that might be best directed. I, I'm just curious. I, I don't know the size of the problem, with you know people taking advantage of a certain situation in, in in effectively these scam operations. So
1: yeah, no, that's a fair point. I don't. I don't either. And so I would say like. In general, I think it's always better to, like, make sure you're avoiding scams, like, just generally. (laughs) So so let's, like, we can put that out front as a general principle. In terms of, like, the 1% for the planet approach and philosophy, we're much more oriented toward um, the goal is to, um, and our theory of change. I mentioned theory of change er earlier. Our theory of change is that simple actions done repeatedly in a community are the way we drive change for the long term. And so whether you're a member or whether you're an individual who's seeing and feeling heartbroken about what's happening in Hawaii or more recently, like Vermont when it was flooding, or you know, any number of places globally where I know we have different moments where we are affected and we want to, you know, respond, it's a great opportunity to take an action that can become a simple repeated action that drives change over time and that you do it as part of a like community of action, then you get to see Um, how your contribution of whatever size, your participation of whatever size ladders up to much larger change when it's part of a larger collective.
0: To help just get a better sense of sort of the, I guess, scope of the work or what levels of involvement and where 1% gets involved, I want to ask about two, I guess, specific industries. One would be asking about lobbying, and another would be asking about tech and perhaps efforts in clean tech, clean technologies. Can you speak to those?
1: Yes, in that we don't have a huge involvement in either. Of, but let me separate them out. So, in terms of lobbying, we are not—we're not a—we're not a, um, a tax-designated organization that's set up to do lobbying. So we don't do any of that. We do have, and that's a C four, for people who are interested. You know, most nonprofits are C3s. That's what we are, 501C3. 501C4s have different sort of permissions and rights. And so they, they do some lobbying. We do have some C4s in our network. And so if members choose that that's what they want to be allocating their giving to. That is you know, something that can happen through the 1% for Planet model. But we as a um, nonprofit, that is not what we do. In terms of clean tech, Um, You know, there are some nonprofits that are involved in like on the advocacy side and sort of creating lobbying for advocating for, um, you know, the types of tax rebates or things like that, that make it easier for consumers to access, you know, renewable tech types of solutions. So, you know, there are some plays there. And then on the uh, on the member side, you know, there are conversations that we've had and we don't have a big member. Um, critical mass in that space, but those are companies that can become members. But that's not i I wouldn't say that's a um, area of expertise or specific focus for us other than the extent to which it fits within our broader giving model.
0: Okay. So help me then maybe circle back to some things that you talked about at the top of this conversation. When we're talking about the mission of 1% for the planet, to sort of bring together individuals and businesses and nonprofits, but in the interest of finding and supporting environmental solutions, if clean tech is not so much of a focus, can we? Can you come back and then just? I want to just make sure we have people listening really clear on you know what, in fact, the core focuses are for One uh, Percent.
1: Yeah, so that's a good, important clarification. Um, So again, we have those four impact areas, which are, and I can just state them again, just economies, resilient communities, conservation and restoration, and rights to nature. And within each of those, there are specific subcategories. And, you know, so we have nonprofits that are working across all of those areas, many of which, or some of which are, you know, focused in areas that are adjacent to or um, kind of supportive of, you know, clean tech solutions. So that's like one just framing that I think is important to state. The other thing that I think is really important that we haven't talked about yet is kind of getting into the um, little bit more granular about how companies integrate 1% for the planet into their operations and kind of their world. So what we really seek is to have companies understand that their one percent commitment and the giving that they do through that is something that is an opportunity to take the whole concept and practice of philanthropy from being this kind of nice maybe sidebar at the end of the year if you have enough money left over to something that's actually in your budget that is in the center of your organization and you start to look for how can this be a supply fund a supply chain solution how can this be a way that we address our carbon footprint how can this be a way that we solve an operational challenge waste stream something like that how can this be a tool to really leverage and grow employee engagement So there are a lot of different ways that the act of giving and the strategy around the giving and the practice of the giving can really move into the center of the organization and become part of the strategy. And so one of the things that we, you know, really encourage companies to think about is like you pay your rent you, or you pay your lease or whatever your kind of situation is there. You pay your staff, you pay your suppliers. 1% for the planet is right there on that list. Pay the planet and pay it in a way, in the same way that you pay those other components. You're, you're making choices of vendors, of staff, of, you know, suppliers based on, like what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to solve for and what your ethos is and what your culture is. So, building 1% for the planet in in that same way and that may be that you're really trying to do everything you can to um you know, use clean tech solutions to improve the footprint, to improve the product, whatever other aspects of your company that you need to. 1% for the planet may be able to sort of create some some ways in which you do that and that and we totally encourage that.
0: So let me ask you a couple just sort of nuts and bolts questions, I suppose. How does this work? 1% of what? Now, you've already said that there is some newer flexibility in terms of what 1% of what means, but from a financial point of view, what should companies, you know, people who direct companies and who are listening to this or who might want to go to some directors of companies uh, after hearing this how does that work and what are we talking about? 1% of what? You know, We've got gross revenue, p- profits, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, it's 1% of sales or revenue. So it's that top line number. So if you're a US company, it's sort of what you report on your taxes as your revenue. Um, and that's really important because the, the two keys there, one, it's like a big number. It's a real number. Um, and the other is that it's, not, it's it's not negotiable or not like fungible. It's it is what it is, and whether you had a tough year or a great year, you still have a whatever your revenues are, you give one percent of that.
0: Another, I don't know, sort of nuts and bolts question. As you're talking about ways that getting involved with one percent for the planet can get a business to be thinking more about what they're doing just across the board operationally, that. Got me thinking a bit about uh, B Corp certification. And I figure I might as well ask you if you could, again, hopefully just for the sake of clarity, help people understand why a company might go down the road of getting a B Corp certification versus why somebody might get involved with 1% for the planet.
1: Yeah. And fortunately there are a lot that do both um, because they are different and compatible and neither of us presumes to think that we are offering a silver bullet. Like there are many, many different things that companies can and need to do. And so there are two different pathways that have a nice like hinge in between them. So, you know, B Corp is focused on, or the B Lab is the company, is the organization is focused on, um, Know really sort of the business operations and they have a certification uh, impact questionnaire that you know people go through and it really you know sort of has to do with sort of a lot of operational aspects of the business. One percent for the planet is about philanthropy, given one percent of sales, as we've been talking talking about, a very kind of simple, different model. On the B Corp uh impact questionnaire, you get some kind of brownie points if you're a one percent for the planet member. If you're a one percent for the planet member who is also a certified B Corp and paying dues, those dues that you're paying to B Lab count toward your one percent. So that's where that kind of nice hinges. And we have a growing group of companies that we call B Ones, who are both B Corps and one percent for the planet members. And you know they really embody that. Like there's there isn't just one thing that we need to do. And again, back to our theory of change, you don't have to do it all at once. So it's like. Pick a simple thing, do it, do it as part of a community, repeat it. And then you get some energy from that. And you're like, oh, I could do that questionnaire. I could, like, we could take that step. And then it starts to all hang together and flow together.
0: Let's talk more about Maui and the situation there. Talk a little bit about some of the nonprofits that 1% for the Planet works with. And maybe we can just name a few of them to put on our listeners' radars. Again, just in the vetting process, you know, uh, for people who might want to make contributions.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, just before I say that, just you know, it's still so real and live in Maui, and we have a staff member who lives uh, near Lahaina, so we've been, you know, very close to that issue. But I think, as with all of, you know, these crises and tragedies that happen, like they do connect. Um, all of us we're all in this together so just want to acknowledge that and as we're feeling that you know some of the nonprofits that we've identified that are great places to give one is the hawaii community foundation uh, the aloha united way the american red cross in hawaii the maui food bank and i'll just like click on that one just to say that's a great example of how we've expanded the definition of environmental because food banks you know, often the sort of leading mission has to do with providing food to those who are insecure in terms of food. So it's more of a, quote, social mission. But in the process, many food banks are diverting food from the waste stream, which has a really significant carbon reduction impact. So, you know, the Maui Food Bank is a great example of a resiliency builder across both the social community and the larger ecosystem. So just wanted to use that as a moment, Um, World Central Kitchen, the Council for Native Hawaiian Advancement, and then the Salvation Army Hawaii are all the ones that we've identified as great places to focus on.
0: Great. And we'll include links to all of those in the show notes of this episode. So encourage people to check them out. Yeah. Pitch in. We've talked about the history the origins of 1% for the planet. We've talked about some of the evolution. We've talked about the mission. Probably be a good time before we go to talk about where things might be heading next. What are you looking at? What are you seeing?
1: Yeah, we are very just charged up to continue to drive big impact. So it took us about 20 years to get to, we're at a just over 500 million in lifetime giving, 500 million US dollars going to environmental nonprofits. So our big goal is to get to a billion and to get there fast. Um, And so we're targeting the next two to three years, we'd love to get to a billion in lifetime impact by our 25th anniversary. So we're saying that out loud, just in the same way that you like set a trail running goal or something, say it out loud and then you know, hopefully um, we will just continue to build the community that's going to drive that change with us.
0: Final thoughts then best place for individuals to go look at what the organization is up to best next step for a business that might be interested in, again, seeing how best to get involved. Where should people go?
1: Yeah, I think, our website generally is individuals and businesses should go there and just there's a lot of good learning right front and center um if if a business is really interested in taking a next step click right onto that join um, link and there's really easy information that kind of gets you into the conversation it doesn't commit you right away but you provide us with some information and we'll get back to you and then go from there so that's a great step for businesses for individuals there's a donate link which again doesn't you have to donate right away but it gives you some information about our planet impact fund and about what it means to support our organization to help us kind of drive that great growth as we head forward and we have great stories too check out our um, blog um, we have a lot of great stories and that provides a lot of information about the partnerships the great environmental partners you know some of the sort of crisis response partners and things like that so it's a it's definitely a wealth of information there
0: Kate, it is very much dinner time where you are on the East Coast. But just before I let you go, I'd love to hear a little bit more. You you talked about kind of your story and the long trajectory with your work, ultimately now with 1% for the Planet started kind of, you said, with Knolls. But these days, what does your outdoors life look like? I I feel like for many of us, we get particularly excited about maybe a new sport or activity. And maybe for a season of life, it's really skiing. And another time it's trail running or, you know, these things kind of ebb and flow a little bit. And I think that's one of the really fun things about the outdoors is we can switch this stuff up. These days, what are you most interested about or excited about when it's time to go outside?
1: Mm, I really am into trail running. Um, And I'm particularly grateful for it, because I had knee surgery uh, in the spring. And so I'm just getting back into it. And so psyched to like be getting out on my favorite trails and just love the simplicity of it. And where I live, a lot of those trails are through these incredible forests. So just being in the presence of trees is Something that I, I love a big, wide open sky, but the trees, like I look at these trees and I think you've been around for a long time. You've weathered a lot and like just sort of inspires me to, you know, be there for the trees and to thank them for the wisdom of what they have weathered so far. So that's what I that's what I try and do.
0: Well, here's the trail running and and old trees, both things very much worth celebrating. <laughs> Kate, thank you for the time. This has been very good and I think we'll give a lot of people, some very good food for thought and things to consider for some immediate steps again as we are uh, thinking a lot about uh, Hawaii at the moment, but just about um, some steps going forward, whether you are an individual or whether you are thinking about how a company you're involved with might be looking at the future and what their your own operations and the like. so, Very much appreciate the time and the conversation.
1: Thank you. Likewise. Really appreciate the good questions and conversation as well.
0: Thanks, Kate. Talk to you soon.
1: Okay. Thank you.
0: Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Kate for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. We will talk to you again real soon.